morning again, and welcome to Riverway Church. I'm Ryan, one of the pastors here, and we're so excited that you are here for week number four, our very last week of this marriage series, and we hope that you have been learning and growing with us. And we also want to say welcome to those of you watching in the parent viewing room, and uh, that's a great place to go if you have little ones that get fussy during the service, right past our donuts and coffee, uh, you'll find a room there where you can watch the service live with us. Uh, well, right inside of your bulletin should be some message notes if you want to go ahead and grab those out and grab your pen and you can follow along and fill in the blanks and uh, you can take that with you today. Uh, well, last week we talked about how important it is to enjoy each other. Everyone say, enjoy each other. Come on, like you're really enjoying each other. Enjoy each other, right? Uh, we talked about how important the side-by-side -side and the face-to-face -face time is and if you didn't get a chance to be here last week, we want to encourage you to listen online. You can go to riverwaychurch.com, go to Sunday services, and you can listen right online to last week. But let me ask you a question. Um, have you ever, and, and you don't need to raise your hands, maybe you could just blink at me if this is you because I don't want to embarrass you. Have, have you ever been tired in your relationship? Have you ever felt like you didn't know how much left you had in the commitment tank, Right? Have you ever felt weary by the weight of how much work it is to be in a marriage relationship, right? If that's you, maybe just blink a couple times, right? Okay, yeah, we're probably all kind of in that boat. Because it doesn't take long to be married to realize the full weight of what it means to work out a relationship long term with one other person. And I think oftentimes weariness can come when two people are going two different places or going two different directions in life. So real quick question, and this one you can raise your hand on. How many of you married someone very opposite of you in many ways? Let me see your hands. How many of you married kind of an opposite, right? Let me see them. Well, you don't have to be ashamed of it. You can just raise your hand, yep, right? I mean, they say opposites attract, right? Isn't that true that there's something mysterious about something we are not? And oftentimes we look for that in the other person, like for instance, how many of you are great savers and budgeters when it comes to money? You love to save, you love to budget, right? Okay. How many of you are like wild spenders, like the world's coming to an end? You just, it's burning a hole in your pocket, right? Okay. There's some of you like that. How many of you love to plan things out well in advance? You like to have it on the calendar, nothing to surprise you. Let me see your hands. How many are there? Okay. And how many of you prefer the spontaneous, like, hey, in the moment, let's just do it, let's go for it, right? Anybody, right? Okay. Yeah, so there's lots of different ways that we can be different, right? How many of you love adventure? Let me see, how many adventurers? How many of you are more homebodies and like to play it safe? Let me see your hands, okay, right? And so in a marriage relationship, oftentimes you can have many differences between you. And to be truthful, it oftentimes cannot take long before you think to yourself, wow, I don't feel like we're on the same page. Have you ever thought that about your relationship? I don't know that we're on the same page. And maybe you can even question of whether or not you're making the right choice. Did I make the right choice in this marriage relationship, right? So I remember back when Tara and I were dating last week, I told you a little bit about our part two because we dated and then we broke up for two years and then we dated again and got married. And so I wanted to bring you into what led up to the two-year break, all right? How many want to know what led up to the two-year break? You want to know? How many, I'm, come on, how many really want to know? I mean, do you want to know? Say yes. yes. I mean, if you really want to know, say yes. yes. Okay, I'll tell you. All right, but let's just keep it between us, all right? So uh, we had been dating, I don't know, for a couple months, and 
you know, we were hanging out and enjoying each other. And, I mean, it was, it was awesome. I thought she was great. And there was this one night that we went on a double date. We actually went to a gopher hockey game, and that was a lot of fun. And we came back, actually, to my parents' house and because uh, we were in college at the time. And so we were hanging out there for a little while, kind of talking. And eventually our conversation led us to the talk. The conversation. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? The defining what are we. Are we friends that are hanging out, going on dates? Are we going to make this exclusive? Are we going to be, you know, what does the future look like for the two of us? And I remember us talking about that, and I was dragging my feet, and I was like, well, you know, it's not that I don't like you. I just, you know, in the back of my mind, really what it was is that I loved having options, right? I mean, who doesn't love to have some options? And, you know, it was just great. And at the time, I was also a youth pastor, and I was like, you know, I don't want to date a different girl every month and announce it and be like, hey, you know. And so I was trying to set a good example for the teenagers, but probably it was more selfishness that I just like to have a lot of different friends, you know, and that kind of thing. And so, you know, we kind of got to this point where we just didn't know what we were going to be. And I'll never forget that night as I walked down the hallway to the front door as she was leaving because it was already late and she was going home. And I opened the glass door and kissed her goodbye and she walked out the door and it's like etched in my memory as she whips around with that beautiful, gorgeous hair flying through the wind. <laughs> and the moonlight sparkling on her big hoop earrings. She used to wear huge, anybody else wear the huge hoop earrings, right? I mean, and I remember looking at her and kind of nervous what was going to come out of her mouth in that moment because obviously she had something to say and she turned around and said to me, just so you know, you can't have your cake and eat it too. You need to choose what you want. <laughs> right? I mean, that is not the most romantic line that I've ever been delivered in my life, right? You can't have your cake and eat it too. And there was part of me that was kind of like turned on in the moment because I was like, man, I kind of like a girl that can kind of, you know, put me in my place a little bit. I like that. But then there was another side of me is like, oh, I'll give you some cake. All right, you, I'll serve you up a piece of cake right now. We're nothing, we're over, you know. And so, I mean, there was this like emotion going on inside of me and I didn't know. And I just thought, well, if, I'm, if I don't know and, and, and I'm struggling, then, then we're just going to be broken up. And so we broke up. And that's what led to that two-year gap. But she said something significant as she turned around in that moment. She said, you have to choose. Everyone say the word choose. And it's just like that in a marriage relationship that every single one of us get to choose what our marriage is going to eventually become. We get to choose how we will invest in that relationship. We get to choose who we are becoming and the spouses that God has called us to be. It's the power of choice. Turn to the person on your right and left and say, you have the power to choose. Turn to them on the right and left and say, you have the power to choose. Come on, tell them. You have the power to choose. Your very first filling on your notes. You see, for us in a marriage relationship, there's nothing more powerful than when a couple chooses to live out the vows we took when we were married. There's nothing more powerful 
when both people in a relationship choose to live out the vows that you took on that day. You remember the vows, right? You, you can probably do it with me. For better or for, right? For richer or in sickness and in from this day as long as we both shall live. Right? Those are the vows we took. It wasn't as long as she holds up her end of the agreement. It wasn't as long as no one else better comes along. It wasn't as long as I'm happy and having fun. This is called a covenant that we have made before God and man. And this word covenant is a very, very important word. In fact, the Pharisees wanted to know about this covenant relationship. And so they tried to ask Jesus in Matthew chapter 19. And they asked him in such a way that they wanted to trap him into saying something that would go against the laws that they had surrounding marriage and divorce. And what Jesus responds is actually very remarkable. And so we pick this up in Matthew 19 verse 3 and it says this. Some Pharisees came to him, Jesus, and said to him, they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? They wanted to know. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, he goes on to quote Genesis chapter 2 that we read last week, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Jesus takes the long way around to begin to answer the question that they have. Is it permissible and possible for any man to divorce his wife for any and any reason? Any and every reason. You see, because back in this time and in this culture, women were much like property that were owned. Just like they would own cattle or houses, so they owned a wife. And the amazing thing is that right in this moment, Jesus elevates the importance and equalness of both. Jesus talks about how both the man and the woman, regardless of what you believe in your culture about women and whether or not they're below man, right? Like in this culture it was. Jesus elevates the importance of both equally and says these are both essential. I've created male and female. And the two have now become one. And what God has put together, let no man separate. Both are essential. Your next feeling, you see, while you are still two people with two personalities and minds, God says, I now view you as one. I now view you as one. And I took two pieces of paper and glued them together. And you see, when you become married, suddenly, this is how God views you. Not as two different pieces, not as two different people, but as one. You are now joined together. Now why would God say what God has joined together, let no man separate? 
In another passage, God talks about how he hates divorce, right? And it's not because he hates people and all of those things, but because when that covenant is broken and you try to separate your lives, it's very hard to separate what was one back into two. It never works as cleanly as we hope and as painless as we maybe fantasize about. The reality is, is that God views us as one and he understands that when those two are separated, what God really hates is the pain that it can cause and the broken relationships and how it fragments much more than just that one relationship. And that's why he says, well, God has put together, let no one separate. As a pastor friend of mine says, your next fill-in, you can't un-one what God has made one. You can't un-one what God has made one. And if you'd let me just to hit the pause button and just interject for a minute, I, I'm fully aware that there are some of you in this room who have walked through divorce before. And maybe you've carried guilt and pain for a long time. And I just this morning want to say this, that what God is concerned about is from this point forward. That's what he's concerned about right now in your life, from this point forward. And, and looking back on a marriage that has failed or maybe a second marriage, maybe you had very justifiable biblical reasons to separate. Maybe there was some sort of abuse or sexual infidelity or something like that. Or maybe you'd look back on your divorce and say, man, there's things I wish I could go back and do different. There's things that I, I just missed the mark and I wish I could go back. And you're filled with a lot of regret and guilt. And I just want to release you from that today. You've carried a lot of that guilt and shame long enough. And it's time that you understand that God loves you and accepts you right where you're at. And all of those experiences have made you who you are. Now God is saying from this point forward, would you honor me? in the relationships and the promises and the covenant that you make. For those that are here this morning in a marriage relationship, how does God want us to approach the kind of commitment that we make to one another? Well, your next fill-in. In this passage, Jesus was illustrating how God looks upon our marriages, not as a contract, but a covenant. Everyone say the word Covenant. Covenant, this is a really important word, and it's a whole lot different than contract. These are two opposite things. You see, a contract, your next fill-in, is made out of mutual distrust. I mean, anytime there are two parties filling out prenups together, right? I mean, it's kind of a signal of what is to come. It's a contract. I have a rental property in Coon Rapids, and anytime I get a new renter in there, I have them sign a lease or a contract. Why? Because that contract is really made out of distrust. I don't know them. They don't know me. And so I want you to sign so I know what to expect of you and so what you can expect of me as a landlord. We don't know each other. We don't trust each other. And so we're going to fill out a contract. A covenant is different. A covenant, your next fill-in, is made out of mutual commitment. A covenant is made out of mutual commitment, of saying we are both in this thing. We are both in this to make it work. I'm committed to you, and you're committed to me. 
In fact, in the Old Testament, they were so serious about this. Oftentimes, at the wedding festivals, they would bring in a large bull, and they would cut the bull in half. And they would separate the bull, and the wedding party, the husband and the wife, would walk through the bull seven times. And then they would vow, let what happened to this bull happen to me if I break the vows that I made today. It's interesting. Might be a good thing to start up again, right? In 2015, splicing up the bulls at the wedding, right? That'd be interesting. And when both people have this kind of level of commitment, that understand covenant, that we're in this together. You see, your next villain says, a covenant says, I'm going to keep choosing I do for as long as I'm alive. I'm going to keep choosing I do. You see, it didn't stop that one day when you said I do, and then it was after that, it was kind of like whatever. Every single day when we wake up in a marriage relationship, we have an opportunity to make the choice, don't we? To choose I do again today. I'm going to choose again today, I do. I'm choosing again today the vows that I took on that day. And when two people do that in a relationship, a marriage can be awesome. It can be awesome. Well, Ryan, I wish you kind of knew my relationship because I really don't like what I'm getting out of this relationship. And while some of that may be valid, I would maybe challenge you and push back in this way as your next fill-in reads. If you don't like what you have been getting, look at what you have been giving. If you don't like what you've been getting, look at what you've been giving. I mean, that was really good, and someone should have, like, applauded right there and been like, yes! That is awesome. It's the whole principle of reaping and sowing, is it not? I mean, have you ever been driving down the road and someone cuts you off and they're like angry and like yelling at you? And you're just thinking, oh, and you're starting to get angry, right? And you're just like, keep all the fingers on the wheel, keep all the fingers on the wheel, look straight ahead, right? Get angry. When someone comes by and they smile and they wave, what's your natural response? Oh, hey, hey, hey. right? And same way in a relationship, you reap what you sow, what have you been giving? It's the same with generosity. It's the same with kindness. It's the same with love. It's the same with investment. That the Bible says what you reap, you will sow. And my only pushback and challenge to you is that if you don't like what you've been getting, look at what you've been giving. Because oftentimes it takes one person with courage to begin the giving, to begin the sowing. Ryan, this is America, it's 2015. We all know that we love to reap before we ever sow. Right, isn't that how it should work? We should reap way before we have to sow. Or they should have to sow first. What are you giving? Well, Ryan, I just don't feel like sowing anymore. I just don't feel like giving more. I don't feel like forgiving more. I don't feel like investing more. I don't feel like being nice. I don't feel like being married. 
In what other area of your life could you say that and get away with that? I don't feel like working the rest of this year. (laughs) So I'm not. I'm just not going to work. I don't feel like doing my bills. I'm just not going to do them. I'm just going to ignore them. Right? I don't feel like doing taxes this year. The IRS will have a way of changing that feeling for you real quick, right? I don't feel like being a parent anymore. I'm tired of dealing with these kids. And so what do you do? You get over your feelings and you be a parent. You grow up. And you honor the commitment that you made to bring that child into the world. And so it is in the same way in a marriage relationship. That there are many times, if we're going to choose I do, it's about getting up and making the choice and putting your big boy pants on and saying, I'm going to honor the commitment that I made on that day, for better or for worse, for richer or poor, in sickness and in health, from this day forward, till death parts us. Amazing commitment. It's an amazing commitment from this day forward. You make the choice to I do. You keep on choosing it every single day. I mean, isn't it true that our feelings are very deceptive? Isn't it true that we can feel one way yesterday and one way today and it can be totally different? You can feel different from month to month, week to week, day to day, sometimes hour to hour, minute to minute. Anybody? Right? Our feelings are very deceptive. In so many ways, and I I can honestly say the only thing in my life where my feelings have never wavered is my love for Chipotle. I mean, that, that's, that's like the only area in my life where my feelings have not wavered. But our feelings are deceptive. And if we listen too long to how we feel, it becomes a contract instead of a covenant. See the difference? You see, I'm in this as long as I'm happy. I'm in this as long as my feelings are there. I'm in this as long as I'm getting all my needs met. I'm in this as long as I feel like I want to be. See, that's a contract. That's not a covenant. And God is calling us to live out of covenant. I'm not saying if you're in a horrible marriage that you just clench your teeth and white-knuckle your way through the next 30 years and just say, fine, we'll just stay married for the sake of staying married. You know what it means? Your next feeling, that choosing I do, means that you never give up on seeking God in each other. You never give up on seeking God in each other. You never accept status quo. You never accept a failing relationship as the end all. But rather you begin to seek God and say, God, would you heal my marriage? God, would you heal this relationship? God, would you cause me to be the husband that you want me to be? Would you cause me to be the wife that you call me to be? You never stop investing in each other. You don't stop the side-by-side and the face-to-face. You don't stop the serving and the loving. You don't stop the forgiving and the forgetting. You never give up hope that you can have an awesome marriage 
That's what covenant does. It means when you need it, you reach out for help to a counselor or to a trusted friend or someone in your small group or a pastor or a friend. You say, we need some help, and we're not giving up. You know why? Because we made a covenant before God. We're committed. We're in this together. And God always honors your next feeling. God always honors when we choose to do our part in the relationship. When we choose to do our part. And so what is our part? As we get ready to close up this entire marriage series, what is our part? 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, that love is patient. And love is kind. And it does not envy or boast. And it's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects and always trusts and always hopes and always perseveres. Love never fails. Your very last villain. An awesome marriage comes about during a lifetime choosing I do over and over and over and over and over again. See, the beautiful thing about a covenant relationship says, I see all the ugly parts of who you are and I still choose you and I still choose to stay. And in the words of the great theologian and newspaper columnist Ann Landers, she said, in order for marriage to work, we must say, we are going to neglect the whole world instead of each other. We're going to neglect the whole world instead of each other. Choosing I do over everything else that's presented to us, over every other difficulty, over every other relationship, over every other task in life, choosing I do when you feel like it and when you don't. Would you mind closing your eyes all over this room as we get ready to pray together? And I'd like us to just take 30 seconds of this moment Because I know that the truth is, is that God is probably talking to hearts in a million different ways this morning. And so I'm going to shut up and just let him talk to you for a minute. Maybe there's some commitments that you need to make between you and him. About your relationship, current or future. So just between you and God, 30 seconds, let's do that right now.
if you're here this morning with your spouse, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, if you would, please, all over the room. I'm going to ask that you grab their hand. Hold it tightly. Because I want to pray over you today. Because our hope, our dream, and our prayer is that your marriage would be the most successful that it's ever been and better than you could ever imagine. Regardless of what happened yesterday or last month or last year or five years ago, that from this day forward, you can choose I do every single day. So let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, you see every marriage that is represented in this room. You see every covenant that has been made before you. And I pray, God, that right in this moment that you would give these couples courage to choose I do every single day. That you give them a forgiving heart in the same manner in which you have forgiven them. That they would choose investment and time of side-by-side and face-to-face. That they would choose to believe the best and not assume the worst. That they would recapture romance by enjoying each other and investing in one another. And when the days seem long, and when the commitment tank is nearing empty, I pray by your spirit you would give them resilience to choose I do all over again. That our marriages would be a reflection of who you are towards us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said it.